Yeah, it always helps when there's something cute to get you ready for hearing the, the word of God. Amen. Um, well, I am really excited to get to preach to you guys again. Uh, this is my first time preaching in like a month. I was actually praying earlier. I was like, man, I feel nervous. I haven't felt nervous preaching in a little while, but it's just been so long. Uh, maybe you forgot all about me. Um, but if you didn't know, I've had some pretty significant things happen in my life over this last month. None short of, we got a new addition in the family. There's my two and a half week old shepherd. Uh, he's adorable. My daughters are in love with him. Riley thinks it's her new favorite toy. And, uh, she just fawns over him all the time. But it's been, it's been a great journey. It was also, we got, uh, my wife and I both got strep the uh, the 23rd of December, so we had to go to urgent care on the 24th. It was it was a pretty rough Christmas for us, waking up every couple hours with a baby when you have strep throat. But uh, we're okay now. It's out of our house. We only had like five people that got it in our home, but we're we're, we're cleaned up now. Um, so I got a question to start off here, kind of off the off the heels of the video there. How many of you, when you hear the idea of New Year's resolutions, you get excited? Sure. Okay. Okay. How many of you get a little bit anxious, maybe discouraged about it? Okay, come on, be honest. We're all family here. We love each other. All right. Uh, how many of you could care less? <laughs> you know, I've had a very conflicted relationship with, uh, with New Year's resolutions for most of my life. On one hand, I really like the idea. And I know setting goals is a good thing, right? That, that as a Christian, God wants us to grow, to be different. Um, but on another, I really hate them. I hate New Year's resolutions. Because, partly because they're categorically the worst kept goals on the planet. Right? Like, you, you, if you ask people, like, what their goals were last year, most people don't remember. Two years ago, it's even worse. You know, like, like, they, we just, we just kind of throw them out. Especially for, like, for health goals. Health goals are, like, some of the worst. If you like going to the gym, you know this. New Year's, New Year's Eve is a, is a terrible time. The month of January, it's packed. All these people that want to get healthy and lose weight. And then by the time February comes rolling around, things start thinning out again. And then March hits, and it's pretty much back to normal. Right? Everybody kind of gets out, uh, gets out of there. Um, but something I also think is, is the timing. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Like New Year's resolution is kind of a pressure timing thing. Because we go from a season where most of us sit around... And do nothing. We get time off. We eat food that we don't normally eat. We put on a few extra pounds. And then a week later, we're supposed to be goal-oriented and ready to change life. You get the timing of how weird that is? <laughs> um, so this is, a part of, this is part of why I struggle with New Year's resolutions. You know, every year for, the minute, for our ministry staff in L.A., we do goal-setting as a part of our yearly evaluations. And let me just tell you, it's... Not one of my favorite things. To like look back on what last year's goals were. How did I do? What do I need to change in? Set some new goals uh, for the year in front of me. And lately, honestly, goal setting overall has not really been a source of excitement for me. And I want to I wanna start here by sharing a little bit vulnerably with you, if I could. Uh, over the break, I've been, I've been trying to do some, some self-evaluation. Uh, had some, some downtime to some degree. Um, I was reading my Bible, I was reading a few different articles, and, and something started to, started to hit me. 
as, as I've looked at myself through the lens of last year, I have struggled a lot with disappointment. Probably maybe of anything else. Just struggled with feeling like my year was kind of disappointing. Personally, on a, on a lot of different levels. And there were some great victories. There were. There were some great victories last year. Some awesome things that happened. But tracing through some of the significant things that happened in my family, to me personally, last year, uh, my faith has taken some pretty big hits. And there have been people that I love that have walked away from God. Goals and expectations that weren't met the way that I hoped. Uh, people in my life that I care about that have really struggled with some pretty big things in life. Prayers that weren't answered the way that I wanted. And what it made me realize is, is that the accumulation of these things has really affected my ability to be faithful. And what I mean by that is to see through eyes of faith. Uh, I've not wanted to set goals. Uh, I've not wanted to pray big prayers. I've not wanted to go after things that would stretch my faith. And I've really, at the core of it, I think, is that I've been afraid of disappointment. I don't want to disappoint myself by setting goals I won't meet. I don't want to disappoint my family. I don't want to disappoint my church. I don't want to disappoint my God. And that's kind of where my heart and my mind was at towards the end of last year, and I didn't, I didn't really see it. And I think that fear has been pretty crippling to me. But I decided as I was doing some reading and praying over the break, I really want to step back into the arena of faith. I want to do some soul searching and I want to repent. Because at the core of it, there's sin. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. And really not because of New Year's. I could care less. If you, if you talk to somebody that's been through a 12-step program, you know that, that arbitrary dates don't matter. Like most people, if they've been clean for a really long time, they didn't get clean on New Year's Day. You know what I'm saying? Now, like what she was saying there, like, forget January 1st. Let's just talk about January 5th right now. But I want to I want to step in the arena of faith because God's got faith in me. And I wasn't studying anything specific in my Bible over the holiday. It wasn't like I just did this deep study in one book. I was kind of moving around a little bit. But I kept seeing people post a scripture as their scripture for the year. You know, that's the big thing, the scripture for the year, the motivation. I know Scott's great at that. I'm terrible at it, and I want to be better at it. Um, but I, I want to show it to you here. It's going to be the basis for what we're going to talk about today. It's Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I don't know how many times I've read this passage. If you've been around for a while, you've probably seen this around New Year's time a lot, right? The whole doing a new thing and stuff like that. But I had to show you guys this video because I found a video when I was in college that got passed around a lot, and I can't read the scripture without thinking about it. So here's 30 seconds to make you laugh. Boys and girls, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who gives us new life, and he's doing a new thing for us. Always doing it. God is doing a new thing. You always doing it. God is doing a new thing. You always doing it. Who's doing it? God is doing a new thing. You always doing it. Who's doing it? God is doing a new thing. You always doing it. Who's doing it? God is doing a new thing. You always doing
new thing. Yeah. Yo, he's doing it. Yo, who's doing it? God is doing a new thing. All right, you can look it up here. You can look it up yourself later. That is going. If there's nothing you remember from this lesson, you might just remember this. God is doing a new thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it totally looks like it could have been me as a kid. And this kid is going to be shamed on the internet for the rest of his life. Um, so, you know, I, but I, I read over this verse several times and I decided that I wanted to do a little study in Isaiah because of it. And I want to look around these verses and I, and I read a lot through the chapters around these verses that really helped me. And I wanted to be able to share them with you today. Uh, so what we're going to do today is we're going to read through the book of, uh, we're going to read through Isaiah 43. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and start turning there. And, uh, and the goal is we're just going to go through the whole thing. There's no points to this sermon. I even didn't really want to give it a title because I, I just, I want us to let the word minister to us today. Amen. Amen. And afterward, what we're going to do is we're going to sing a couple songs together before we take communion. Amen. So if you need a title, if you're taking good notes, the title of the sermon today is Renew. Amen. I'm going to say a prayer. God, I want to thank you so much. Uh, I want to thank you so much that because of our relationship with you, we have the chance to be new and to be different. Amen. Not because of some arbitrary holiday, uh, but because of Jesus, we have the chance to be made new every single day of our lives. But God, I do pray that right now we, we really will, will get ourselves out of the way to be in your word at the moment, that you will speak to us, Father, that you, Holy Spirit, you'll speak through me to share what you want said to the church today. And God, I pray that, that, that we will start to take some steps, not necessarily one big decision, but, but that we'll make some steps towards being renewed in you. God, we love you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up in verse 1 of Isaiah 43. <clears throat> but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give you Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you. Nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the mouth, give them up. and uh, To the north, sorry, the mouth. Uh, give them up and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Let's stop there for a moment. I want you to just kind of take a second and dwell in these verses. Here, reread them for a minute. I'm going to give you guys a couple seconds. Just look over what God is trying to communicate to his people in these first few verses. You know, these, these words are pretty powerful. What God is doing to start off this chapter is he's basically starting off by trying to remind his people of who he is. He created you. He redeems you. He protects you. He summons you. He loves you. And this is an important thing for the Israelites to hear at this time, because they were not in a great place. 
spiritually or life-wise at this moment. They were divided. The nations weren't together. They had enemies that were attacking them. They were not doing well spiritually. If you read the first chapter of Isaiah, it doesn't open up with encouragement. It opens up with basically, you guys have deserted me and given and, and turned away from your God. So the people are not in a great place spiritually. And yet this is where the chapter starts off. I want to remind you of who I am. I remind you of how much I love you and believe in you. You know, the challenges that, these, that, that the Israelites were going through right now, most of them were self-inflicted. And the truth of the matter is, in our lives, if you look at your life and the difficulties you go through, I would dare say most of your challenges and difficulties were your fault. Right? Like when I look at my life, I'm not trying to condemn anybody here. When I look at my life and the things and, and the difficulties I've gone through, a vast majority of them were something that was because of something I did or didn't do. But in spite of that, God is trying to show his people the lengths that he's willing to go to. In spite of who they are. In spite of the things that they've done to themselves. You know, my dad has a saying that he says a lot. He preaches it a lot, but, uh, but I've grown up with it. That at the heart of this, what we've got to understand as, as people who are trying to be close to God, is it's not about who you are, it's whose you are. That what makes things significant is not, is not our rap sheet. It's, it's who we belong to. And God is trying to remind his people, look, you're mine. I, I, I'm, I've fought for you before, and I'm still going to fight for you. You're, you're my people. I am your God. It's not about the, all the things that you've done or done, not done necessarily. It's about you belonging to me. And I fight for this. Or I, 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 would say, I would say better, I fight this. For usually one of two reasons. Number one, because I'm mad at my circumstances. I'm mad at my current state of life. When things are not going my way, trusting in God's love and protection takes a lot of extra effort. It takes a lot of deliberate thinking for me to like go, oh yeah, I belong to God. Because no, I tend to go to why is God letting this happen? What have I done wrong? You know, all those different thoughts. And I seem to be passing this on to my, my oldest daughter, too. Um, there was a, uh, not that long ago, uh, I had to discipline her for something. And we've talked, we've gone over scriptures every time she needs to get disciplined and stuff. We talk through it a lot. But at one point, I was done, uh, we were done getting disciplined, and she goes, Dad, do you still love me? And it was this like, wait, What? Of course I love you. It's because I love you that I'm even doing these things. And it was at that moment I realized, and I don't think I've done anything specific to pass that on to her, but she's inherited that thinking from me. Because that's how I am. When things aren't going my way, God doesn't love me anymore. Or secondly, the reason why I fight this is because I can struggle with believing if I really let my identity in, in, in God define me. If I really let that define me, then I'm going to turn into some schmaltzy, gooey, southern church lady. Okay, I, got fa- I spent eight years in the South. I got family in Texas, the kind of the, the bless your heart type ladies, you know. Like, that's kind of what I think can happen. If I really just, just grab a hold of who I am in God, then I'm just going to turn into this, oh, bless your heart, Jesus loves you. 
He loves you so much. But again, in spite of where they are at this moment, God starts by turning their attention to him. Not them. Him. And how much he loves them. Let's keep reading in verse 8. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Which of their gods foretold this and and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove that they were right, so that others may hear and say, It is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, and not some foreign God among you, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act. Who can reverse it? All right, let's stop there. So God, God kind of does something a little interesting here. He kind of sets up a courtroom scene. And what he says is he tells, he tells his people that they are, they, they are serving as witnesses to him. They serve as witnesses to what he was willing to do to save his people. The miracles he performed. How he's fought for them. All of it stands to show, I am God. If you, if you look back on the book of Exodus sometime, Several times along the way, part of what happened is, is the miracles that God did along that, that way was meant to serve to other nations to look and go, oh my gosh, their God is the God of Israel. Their God is legit. Their God is the only one that could do these things. And here in Isaiah, hundreds of years later, he's reminding them of that same thing. Everything that I have done in your life, every miracle I've performed, everything I've done to rescue you, you are, sure, you are serving for the rest of the world as witnesses that I am your God. That people can look at your life and what I've done, and you, ha- and you have to say, man, this can't be on their own. There's no other way it could have happened. Only God could have saved his people the way he did. You know, Jesus echoes the same sentiments. Later on, when he talks about us being disciples and making disciples. When Jesus says, go make disciples, he is saying the same thing that God said hundreds of years earlier. Be a witness. You don't necessarily got to go out and cold contact and preach from the streets. Let your life be a witness to me. If you've been saved by God, your transformation serves to demonstrate who God is to the world. Your repentance, your marriage, your relationship with your family members, how hard you work at your job or at your school, your priorities of God over your job or your school, your attitude, the way you treat people, the way you love people, all of that serves as a witness to the rest of the world that this isn't just a Sunday thing you do sometimes. It serves as witness that God has changed your life. If you're a disciple, I want to remind you of a few things. Your worst day as a disciple of Jesus is still better than your best day without God. That's a witness. 
Your best hope at a healthy marriage is to have the Holy Spirit in the middle of it. That's a witness. The best adventure of your life is not a vacation. It's not a trip to another country. It is the adventure of saying, here am I, send me to God, and seeing where he takes your life. The greatest fulfillment of your life is not a job. It's not a person. It's not a relationship. It is the life of following Jesus. And if we really believe that, then that means your life is a witness. Disciples of Jesus, we've got to remember some of these things that are true. Again, if you've been battling with some of the things that I have, disappointment tends to steal that away. Tends to think that this isn't where it's at. Straining for a relationship with God, maybe it's not worth it. Maybe I'll find better fulfillment from a promotion. Maybe I'll find more validation from friends at school. That's where disappointment leads me. And God is again reminding his people here, look, everything I've done for you serves as a witness that your life is different because of me. Not because of any one thing that you have done. You know, what's cool here is he ends verse 13 by saying, no one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? What I've done, it's so definitive, it's so powerful, you can't argue it. We're going to see something cool here about this in the next verses. Pick up in verse 14. You with me? This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians and the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Let's stop there for a moment here. So what God is doing here now is he's pointing to even their future. So he just got done reminding them, look, everything that's happened in your life up to this point has been done because of me. But I'm not done there. Matter of fact, I'm looking ahead. I know it's kind of easy to miss here, but if we don't know the history of some of this stuff, these verses lose some of their power. Because at this time, what actually was happening, short history lesson, I promise. Assyria was, was Israel's biggest enemy. It's actually the first part of Isaiah, they talk about that. But in a little while, what was actually going to happen was God was going to use the Babylonians in just about a hundred years to come in to wipe out the Assyrians and completely take the Israelites into captivity. The beginning of the Babylonian exile. That's the book of Daniel and all that stuff. That's what was coming. Okay? Now, he was going to do that actually also because of their sin. He was punishing them because they weren't turning to him yet. But he takes it even a step further. God goes even further than that. He doesn't just say, hey, guess what? The Babylonians are coming. He says, I actually look ahead to a time when not just the Babylonians are going to take you into captivity, but I'm going to send the Babylonians running. I'm kicking the Babylonians out with the things that they feel the most confident in in their military. Here's why this is significant. 
He is forecasting his people's next couple hundred years. Then he reminds, okay, why that's significant is because what that communicates to me is that God is reminding them that he sees it all. He wants to remind us of what he's done in the past, but he also wants to remind us, guess what? And I have your future. I see all that's coming. I see the challenges. I might be letting the Babylonians come into your life for a season to discipline you because you're not turning to me yet. But I also see what's beyond that. I see the time where I'm going to rescue you from them and bring you into an even greater state of glory than you were before. That is where God sees all of us in our lives currently. The victories of the past with the projections of what's even coming in the future. Then God reminds them more of what he's done. And specifically, he draws their attention to Egypt, to the rescue he did from Egypt. Because really, when you look at the Old Testament, there's nothing like the Exodus. Nothing like it. God did some of the craziest miracles in the Bible in the book of Exodus. I don't know if you're like me, but I, like, when, I, when I think about getting to heaven, one of the things I vision is the, the screening room in heaven where God goes, what do you want to see? Dude, I want to see the Red Sea. I want to see what that was like. But he turns his attention, their attention to Egypt. And this is important because often when times get hard for us, we forget what God is capable of. When things get challenging, when you're struggling with your faith, it's easy to reduce God into something. Let's say we just put him in a box. And right now, you may be going through a season of pruning. I feel like I'm going through a season of pruning at the moment. Maybe God is disciplining you because there's been stuff that you've just not been willing to humble out about. Or stuff that has been a perpetual problem that you've not been able to change. Or maybe, maybe life just kind of has some difficult circumstances right now. I know we've got a lot of people in the congregation that have had deaths recently or sick family members and you know, there's a reality to that that's beyond, beyond anything of our own fault. But again, when times, like, when times like that happen, it's easy to question what God is doing. Or, maybe even better, how he's going to get us through it. You know, the disciples struggled with this with Jesus constantly. One of my favorite examples of this is in the book of Mark. After Jesus fed the 5,000, do your own study on this. After Jesus fed the 5,000, one chapter later, they've got 4,000. So 1,000 people less than they did the chapter before it. And again, the disciples were like, man, what are we going to do? How how are we going to feed these people? I mean, Jesus, there's just not a way to make it. And literally, when I read through that periodically, I, I just, are you kidding me? He just did it. The same thing with more people. What do you mean? How is he going to do it? And then I can stand in front of a mirror and go, Jake, are you kidding me? What do you mean? How is God going to do it? He's already done it. Over and over and over again. When I don't know what to do about my finances, God's already taken care of it in my life many times over. When I feel stuck 
with relationships in my life, with whether it be in my family, and, and I've shared many times over about my relationship with my brother and his drug addiction. There have been so many times I've, I want to phone it in. God's already done it. He's already made a way. You know, this last year, I had to deliberately wrestle with this at different times. I had to be very specific about reminding myself what God has done. I went through some dark moments last year where I questioned, do I, do I still want to do this? Do I want to be a minister, an evangelist? Is anything that I'm doing working? Could I find a better job out there that's got better paying money? That way I don't have to feel the struggle that, that, that I felt. Could I, find a better, could I find a job that doesn't require so much of me emotionally? You know, I, I read a book years ago that encouraged me to start doing something. Uh, I think when we did that prayer series um, uh, Fred Fowler reminded, uh, it's mentioned the book, it's by George Mueller, but it, it's, a, it's to keep a record of answered prayers. I started doing that about 10 years ago. And a couple different times last year, I had to take myself back to that to see how God has answered prayers and had victories in my life over the last 10 years. I had to remind myself that there were times just like moments that I was in or times that were worse that God has been victorious and has answered prayers beyond, beyond my understanding. You know, when I think of what God has done in Chris Jacobson this last year, Amen. and Gabe with their help, and specifically I bring them up because, because those are some pretty crazy and dire situations. And God had answered prayers in ways that he could have only done. But in those moments, when it got hard last year, I didn't want to remember them. But again, God is more faithful than we are. And he reminds his people in those times, look, I've done it. Here you go. You know, something that's actually really cool, to even, I like history, and so I want to be able to demonstrate how powerful our God is. Amen. You know, verse 17 one of the things that he says there is he said, uh, uh, when he drew out the chariots, they lay there never to rise again, extinguished and snuffed out like a wick. And along with verse 13, it says, no one can deliver out of my hand when I act who can reverse it. You know, historically, any time God has ever moved against a nation that oppressed his people, they never rose to power again. Egypt, Assyria, Canaan, Babylon, Greece, Rome. Any time a nation ever opposed God, they never rose to power again. That's how powerful your God is. That's how definitive his decisions and his ability to save are. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. This is the good stuff. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, 
that they may proclaim my praise. Let's stop there. So just after reminding his people of the past and what he did, you know what he says? Forget the past. Remember what I did there? Forget it. Stop it. It's over. The past is gone. Why? Because I think we have a habit as people of living in the past. Don't we? Either, either thinking that, that everything was so much better back in the past or thinking or not, not getting beyond the hurts and the pain of the past. Not being willing to forgive. Not being willing to change and repent and mend. We get stuck in the past. We dig memory trenches and past experiences so that we can stay there huddled up. It's like Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite. When I was younger, I used to be able to throw a ball over them mountains. You know, just thinking that, that way back when, it was so much better. And you know, the, the truth of this is, this is generational as well. You know, millennials tend to get a lot of flack, but I did my own research. Every generation has its own glory days. And its own perspective of why it's so much better than the generation after it. You know, in my day, people worked hard, they pulled their weight and loved their families. Literally, almost every 10 years of the last 100 years of American history, that's what the generation said about the generation in front of it. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll move past this. I'm 32 years old, and I say this about teenagers now. Back in my day, we had T9 texting. You had to push the numbers one, a bunch of times in order to even get a text message. And we had to pay for each one, too. <laughs> but you know, spiritually we do this also. When I first became a Christian, I was this, this, and this. Back in the 90s, we were so fired up and sold out. Back when I was in college, blah, 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 blah. We saw this, we did this, blah, 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 blah. And when we're struggling with disappointment, that's a lot of where I go too. I was better then. I know if you're like me, but I glamorize certain times of my life. Or certain times of my relationship with God. When I look back to my college days, I see a lot. Part of it was because I was so dumb and immature. I was growing so much. That I, that I can think that those were like my best days or something. When in actuality, I just was stupid and I was learning how to not be stupid. But, but I can look back on my college days and think, man, I shared my faith so much with everybody. I studied the Bible with so many different people. I had so many people become Christians. And college was the best that my relationship with God has ever been. What a tragedy if that's true. What it makes me forget is my sin and my challenges of that time of my life too. When you spend time glamorizing some stage of your life where you thought it was all better, you forget how hard things were as well. God doesn't want us to live in this kind of thinking. You know why? Because he's not done. He's not been done since the beginning of time. Why would he be done now? He's moving forward. He's looking ahead to new victories, to new miracles. You know what's crazy? If you, if you do like a study of the Bible and the miracles of God and Jesus, 
They almost never did the same miracle twice. Almost never. You know why? God likes doing new things. God likes showing his power in new and more creative ways. God doesn't want the best days to be 20 years ago, 30 years ago. He has new miracles he wants to do. He's not trying to recreate the 90s, thank God. What he's also saying here is if we're stuck in the past, we can miss what God wants to do next. He's saying, don't you perceive it? Don't you see what I want to do? And then he moves on to verse 20. He does something interesting for all the desert people. The wild animals on me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. He even says, look, even the mangy desert animals will honor me because they know what I'm capable of. I will take the desert and make water out of it. Forget climate change and where you live. I can take the wasteland that is your life and have streams flow through it so that you will praise my name. But to close off the chapter here, God changes his tone. And things are about to get real. just want to give you a heads up. Let's finish out verse 22. Yet you have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, not honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. But you have not brought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins, and wearied me with your offenses. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake, my own sake, and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Your first father sinned. Those I sent to teach you rebelled against me. So I disgraced the dignitaries of your temple. I consigned Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn. We're not going to end here, but we've got to stop here for a minute. After all that God has done to express his love for his people, how much he believes in them, how much he fights for them, how much he's going to protect them and rescue them with things that are coming up. He changes tone here and he shares from a place of heartache about the state of what he sees in his people. There's a pleading and a sadness to his tone. He's saying, look, I want to do miracles. I want to do new things in you, but you avoid me. You don't honor me. You don't make an effort. And you're stuck in sin. The truth of the matter is, most often the reason that we're not seeing the miracles that God is doing or wants to do is because we're too busy being stuck in our own sin. God even says here, this is an interesting thing. He says, look, I've not tried to ask much of you. He said, I've not burdened you with asking for more offerings. I'm not, I'm not trying to demand more sacrifices. But you have stopped bringing me them. You've stopped bringing me your best. 
You weary yourself for other things, but not for me. Matter of fact, instead of burnt offerings, what you bring to me is a burden of sin. I don't know how this hit you as we were reading this, but when I read this a few weeks ago, or a week or so ago, it rocked me. Because most of the time, and most of the time that I read something like this, my response to it tends to be very heavy hearted. Guilty soul, you know, I'm guilty conscience, I'm a total loser, I've just blown it, I'm blah, 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 blah. But that's not what, what God is trying to get here from his people. That's not how God wants us to respond. And, and it was kind of crazy to me that this time around, with as much as I feel like I was looking back on last year and looking at the struggles, I read this and I just felt really humbled. Because I looked at myself and I realized I've avoided being honest about where I was. I've avoided God. Whether it be about the disappointments that I've struggled with, the faithlessness I've battled with, wanting to quit, or sometimes maybe even looking at, looking with critical eyes at, at you guys, at the church, and, and looking at our shortcomings as a whole and thinking, man, if we could just, if, if the church would just change, if we could just fix this, if more people would come to midweek, if we just gave better offerings, looking at these kinds of things as a fix, it would be better. And all that instead of really just humbly standing before my God myself. I believe I haven't seen some of the miracles God wanted to do or that he even did last year because of my sin. And what this communicates to me, because I'm not down on myself about this right now. I'm not devastated or in some hole at the moment. What it's making, what it's stirring in me is, man, I want to be different. Not because of the new year, but because I want to be different. And what this communicates, I think, to us as a whole, is there has to be a place in view of God's mercy. Through the eyes of grace, there's got to be a place where we can be honest about our sin and our shortcomings. About the areas that you and I have blown it. And the truth is, we all have. To ignore our need for repentance, church, is not living by grace. It cheapens it. God's love will never remove our need to change. It demands it. You know why? Because God isn't done yet. Look over at Isaiah 44, one chapter over. We're going to close here before we take communion. Verse 21. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we'll, we'll get into it. It says, Remember these things, Jacob. For you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you. You are my servant. Israel, I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath, 
Burst into song, you mountains, you forest, and all your trees, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. These words are incredible. Pretty much all of chapter 44 is God basically telling his people, I'm not done with you yet. Yes, you have been in sin. You've not given me your best. You've blown it, but you're not done. He's saying, look, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to wipe it clean. But there's also a pleading here. He says, but return to me. No matter how far off you may be right now. God is reminding us that we aren't forgotten and we need to return to him. It's time to get real and honest about where we are, church. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, stop running. Stop running and turn yourself in. You are not experiencing what God wants to do in your life just because you come to church. Stop running. Return to the Lord. If you are a disciple, I want to put a challenge out there. Be humble. Be humble enough to be honest. And examine the holes in your life and in your relationship with God. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Be honest with your spouse. And, and God, please be honest with somebody that will help you get to God. Amen. I haven't figured out all of what this means for me yet. I have a lot more prayer and conversations that I need to have personally. I spent a couple hours just writing out stuff from last year, things that I think I'm looking forward to for this year, but I, I still need to spend some good time talking to my wife. i got to talk to some people in my life to get help with thinking through it. What I do know is I want to be renewed in my relationship with God. The title of our sermon comes from that verse where he says, I'm doing a new thing. The the Hebrew word there for new thing also means being renewed. In this last verse here, God tells his people, you got to sing and shout. you got to sing and shout because of what God has done and because how he's redeemed you. Part of what communion is supposed to be together is a time of self-reflection for us to take ownership if, if we've blown it. But it's also supposed to be a celebration because we've been given Jesus. Amen. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing two songs here to prepare us for communion together. Let me, get the, let me go ahead and get the worship team to come on up on stage. And we're going to say a prayer. God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that you don't quit. That you don't quit on us. You don't, you don't let us sit where we are, God. You, you meet us. You challenge us. You, you draw it out in us. But God, you also believe in, in what you're shaping and forming us into. I know in Isaiah 44, it describes you as a blacksmith. That you're, 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 you're pounding, sharpening, heating the things out of us that are impure and unrighteous. Because you want to do something miraculous in us. I pray right now as we're getting ready to take communion together in just a little bit, that you'll please help us as we, as we sing to you, as we praise you, God, to, to connect with the redemption that we have because of Jesus. Love you, and it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.